Hey there, dear friends. Welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor K. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it on any platform. It goes a long way. And if you find this podcast somewhat inspirational, motivational, and gave you some new insight into life, into your being, then be sure to comment and share it with your friends and family if you are called to do so. Um, today's podcast is with Chaim Miller, and it's filled with beautiful, raw sharing. I deeply enjoyed our conversation with all its beautiful points and lessons that came forth from our conversation. We delve into one of the greatest self-help books of all time, the Tanya. We talked about the Lava Cherebi and astrology. There's even a brief reading of my chart in this podcast. So yes, stay tuned for that. Uh, a fascinating and incredibly smart individual. I'm sure you'll enjoy and find something quite rewarding by listening to this podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Chaya Miller. Rabbi Chaya Miller. <laughs> it's great to see you. Good to see you, Thanks man. For being on the podcast. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Um, the last time I, I did see, well, not the last time I saw you, but the first time I believe I met you to give some context as to the, the, the character that you are. <laughs> I was invited to go to a Friday night davening um, to your home. And little did I know that this davening was going to take place in a yurt in your backyard <laughs> that you built yourself. That's true. Yeah. What, what's, what's going on? This is, we're talking about here, guys, Crown Heights, Brooklyn, New York. This, gen this rabbi here has in the backyard of his home a yurt where he held services. <laughs> a little, little, there was a little string that had the mechitza between. Right. It, was, it, was, it was a real deal. I, I've always wanted to go to deep uh, to Mongolia. always have a dream. I still plan to one day to go, you know, amongst the peeps and go and live in the yurt life. But little did I know I'd be able to experience that in Karnak. Well, vibe is so important, especially yeah. for prayer. But always, I'm always very sensitive to vibe. Sure. So what, yeah. why the yurt? What, what drew you to the yurt? It just had a very authentic feel to it, and it fit in my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> Did, I remember you said you had to travel to Maine or something, or Vermont? Yeah, yeah. We, we kind of put it in the back of the truck and brought it down. Brought it down and yeah, built yeah, it, and yeah. yeah, and didn't think twice about it. Yeah. Have you always lived your life in that manner, like against the fall, do, do you? I've always wanted to kind of, yeah, innovate, break out, be different. Uh -huh. some, you know, not crazily, but like this urge to innovate. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like synagogue needs fixing. Mm. A lot way? of people are bored there. It's a bit routine, uh, dry, not enough spirit. So I, I figured that Yurt might do it. Yeah. And it did. <laughs> I was, I was just truly amazed. I mean, I think I was le less looking in my, in my sitter in my book and rather looking at the uh, circular walls and, and the ceiling. But mm. hey, I mean, I showed up. That's mm. a good start. Something about circular, it's very spiritual. Circle? Yeah. In the Zohar, Complete. Rabbi Shimon sat in a circle with all these students when they did their like very spiritual stuff. Mm. I think we need to reclaim that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I went to a Shabbos meal once where the main table was a circle. It wasn't one of those mm. rectangles. And I loved it. Mm. I loved it. There was no beginning, no end. Everybody was able to see each other. I was yeah. a big fan. Throw a lazy Susan in the middle of that and forget <laughs> about it, man. You're set. Um, but tell me more about, yeah, I mean, your, your vision for what, what were the ideal synagogue experience look like today without you know freaking people out oh my gosh he's going off or maybe yes maybe yeah what i don't want to put words in your mouth what what would that look like honestly man i've struggled with this all my life i don't have a solution mm. i'm constantly seeking for i find synagogue stifling i find i'm committed to prayer i'm committed to traditional prayer but i, I still feel like a hamster in a cage when I'm in a synagogue. And I've written commentaries on the prayer to make it spiritual. I've tried to yeah. make spaces. It's a work in progress. I don't have the solution yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, how do you how do you go about making prayer more personal for yourself today? I think we need to involve the body more. Mm. Like the prayer is all about, um, you know, words. It's about singing. Uh, it's about getting together. But you just kind of... Yeah. There's no kind of... Physical engagement of the body. I think that's lacking. We need to find a way of doing that. Like you're talking about, like, like literally dance. Get some. Yeah, maybe action. dance would do it, but something actually connected to the prayers. Yeah. Um, because 
you know, when you're coming from a, like a Kabbalistic perspective, a spiritual perspective, it's all about embodiment. It's yeah. all about feeling that energy in your body. Sure. So um, I'd like to go more in that direction. Yeah. When I, I mean, have it worked out, I'll tell you. Yeah, please do. I'll love to show up. I mean, yeah. I, I've been... Well, we could experiment with different, you know. Different yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down. I am, <laughs> I am literally, I, I like to put my body through uh, like a guinea pig, you know, try new things, try yeah. physically, mentally, and now yeah. spiritually. I am I personally am on a journey where I'm, you know, letting go of some of the old, you know, things that didn't work and mm. trying new things. And it turns some heads at times, uh, but it, fit, it feels more right and it feels like I'm connecting and not just rattling off words. And so I mean, it's hard to innovate within tradition. Yeah. It's kind of easy just to innovate and chuck away everything. It's kind of easy just to be traditional and do it the way that everyone's done it. But to kind of get that existing beautiful structure, but to make it fit to a contemporary feel without breaking it, I think that's, that's a difficult balance. That's the balance. Yeah, to make, and it needs to be attached to tradition, in my opinion, to keep it sustainable. Otherwise, it's just kind of, okay, so it's your little high your little right. ride but then where's it going right right for sure i mean i guess if you're looking for right within tradition quite important and then the question is is to like and perhaps you said you don't know right now but how how does one go about building an experience that is traditional mm. yet you know keep me to and i host? try and do this with my writing i'm trying to push the envelope a bit Make things a bit more fresh, make the language a bit more contemporary. But if it's too too much, people don't like it either. So it, it's you know. I guess when you say people, it's very general. Who you, who's your audience? Who are you trying to? Are you talking to like Orthodox from people? Are you talking about you know Balchuvas? Are you talking about people who are interested in you know to convert? You know, it's, mm, I try to keep it broad. Yeah. Well, here I mean here yeah. we we're all the same at heart. Humans are the same. Yeah. We have different wrappings. We have different triggers. If you, if you avoid the triggers of each community, you, you can reach everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I like to read that book, you know, <laughs> avoid the trigger. Yeah. Um, but talking about, I mean, I love how we're delving into this, but, you know, talking about going back to evolution and, and uh, perhaps not always following the grain, being mm -hmm. a little salmon in, in, the, in, the, in the stream. You know, I, doing a little research, and this is totally judging from the external so okay. i'm going for it um i you know tara cafe white shirt tie rabbinical look here yes. sitting in front of me colored shirt nice color blazer <laughs> i would say dare i say modern tinge to you rabbi chaim what is that just you know again external is that reflection of something internal we should really you should really give me a list of questions beforehand <laughs> i mean this is unfair <laughs> <laughs> that's what they do on podcasts yeah we can also this edit is it. totally impromptu <laughs> I've been on a, a journey of integration. I'm trying to, um, you know, I didn't grow up Hasidic. I didn't grow up, I mean, we were technically Orthodox, but like British, uh, like preppy, you know, uh, social orthodoxy. Social. Yeah, okay. I didn't grow up observant. Shabbos and kosher? No. Okay. No, I mean, no pig. All right. Yeah. But that was like traditional. Like you do Kiddush and Shabbos, but also yeah. watch TV. Exactly. Right. You got it. Um, and then when I was about 20, I had this spiritual awakening and, and, and I discovered Hasidic teachings, Kabbalistic teachings, and I was very drawn to it. Can you tell me about that 20? What, what ha took place in that moment? Like what, what was this like, spiritual awakening? Um, I was in medical school. I thought I was going to be a doctor. Yeah. And I felt this tremendous void. Like, I don't want to do this. Mm. Kind of you locked on a, a path and you just don't want to do it. You just felt that in Yeah. The, the... I just saw on someone's um, Instagram stories, you know, they have these ask, um, these things like, tell me anything, tell me your secret. Yeah. And they put it on their stories and they don't tell you who it is. But then you, so they, all these horrible stories like, you know, I had an abortion and like, you know, I need to come out. And people struggling mm. with really big stuff. Sure. And then someone wrote, I, I'm studying to be a psychologist. And I've realized I hate people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that one. that's great. Yeah. yeah. So I had something like that. Like I'm being a doctor, and I realized that I'm more spiritual. Like being a doctor in Western medicine is very uh, scientific, very treating the body yeah. like a machine. And like this is not for me, but I'm kind of stuck in it. What am I going to do? Yeah. And then I was searching. I never thought of looking at Judaism. Because I thought I knew Judaism. Like, I'd done my 10,000 hours in synagogue. Yeah. And, like, I know this. Yes. It's a Kiddush. It's a yeah, I've seen a bar mitzvah. I knew it. Mm. Were, I, there's no signs of any meaning there. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Then they're done But that. then I, like, discovered Maimonides through the philosophy books. I'm like, hey, there's, like, an intelligent Judaism? Ooh, how comes I never, like, no, how comes I never encountered that? And wow. then that led me to... 
Tanya, which is the basic book of you know, Chabad, yeah, Hasidic beliefs, and I was blown away, and I was having the spiritual experience. So you drop out of t- you. So you drop out of college. You tell your parents, well, I hey, I'm going to pursue my dream. Well, eventually, eventually, I went on a summer program, and then I went back for another year. And like, okay, I'll take a year off. I did it gradually. Right, I didn't want right. to be like crazy. Yeah. But something was pulling me very strongly. Like I, I need this. That's that's. And uh, how do we get into this? Well, because I was asking you about you know the external garb and. Just... Oh, so yeah, so like when you have a rapid transformation, like in a year or two, I remade myself. Mm. Bid, wow. uh, becoming a rabbi, new new group of friends. Um, you kind of need to do that if you want to reinvent yourself. But then, what about the old self? So yeah. after that, there was a long time, kind of reintegrating both mm. selves. You know, I I often make a joke, but it's not really a joke that in the Balchuva community, which means like the, the born again Jews, yeah. so when they date. There's four people there. There's the new him, the old him, <laughs> the new him, new her, and the old her. And they're kind of like, the new him kind of likes the old her. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very, very confusing. That's good, yeah. So I spent yeah. a long time trying to kind of bring those two worlds together wow. uh, harmoniously. And so, yeah, I, I'm a bit of a misfit, really. You know, you never really belong in, I, I never truly belong in the Hasidic community because I grew up there, you're not kind of fully ingrained. But also, I don't really, I'm not really secular anymore. But I look at myself as a kind of bridge mm-hmm. that I can get some of the, the wisdom that I discovered, which is not, people don't know about the stuff yet, still. Even the Orthodox, yeah, the front yeah. community don't even know about in, this. Yes. And it took someone from, yeah. like yourself who yes. came from the, who was yeah. religious to study yes. their own text yeah. and say, "Hey guys, you're reading it yeah. differently," or, or like you don't know what you have, or here. even the wrong yeah. way. It's just, yeah. just right. Like yeah. this is what actually what's in front of you. Yeah, how amazing is that? And I mean, vice versa. One could also come. I mean, you sort of, sort of a misfit, but I'm sure there's quite a bit of people here listening, and myself included, where you could come from a Orthodox community, yes, and feel like a misfit, yeah, to the opposite way, right? Where yeah. it's like also misunderstood or don't yeah, feel its own yeah, place, yeah, yeah. and hence why I get excited to hear about a yurt and uh, and prayer right, services. Yeah. You know? Um But you're so you're you mentioned about the time. I actually relate very much to like the OTD community because it's just like changing, but in a different direction. But it's the ch- it's still change. Oh, there's so it's much. It's like change. you f- you feel. There's something not right about what you grew up with, and then you got to go somewhere. Well, I think it's the sensitive souls that sort yeah. of la- realize that there's a disconnect here. Yeah. Like we're talking about godliness, we're talking about connection, yet there's, and yes, we're doing actions, but there's no meaning behind it. There's mm. questions that are just being yeah. told to learn more, to, or just blown out. There was yeah. there isn't really the the patience and the knowledge from educators really to be able to to deal with those sensitive souls. Yeah. If you question too much, you become a nuisance in some ways. Yeah. Um. And and then and unfortunately, sensitive souls tend to you know get too sensitive, not having the proper things to Do feed it. Do you consider yourself a sensitive soul? Very much so. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah deeply, yeah. deeply. Yeah. I can interview you as well, right? It's not. Just, oh, this yeah. is a no. It's a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not just taking the battery. A relief yeah. <laughs> just going off. <laughs> you see, yes, you could ask me questions. Yeah. Yes. And this is a discussion. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yes, I am a sensitive soul. Yeah. And for the longest time, I've I've tried to deny that of myself. I try ah, to fit into the right. to the quote unquote cool kids or right. to um or or deny myself that part of myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, and by doing so, once who's sensitive, as you may know, um, you seem like a sensitive human being too. Um, you have to if it's not being yeah. filled with spirituality or, or getting those answers, then you'll try to numb that sensitivity because the world gets very very harsh, mm. and that turns into a whole, a whole journey in itself. Mm. <laughs> I hear you coming to kind of close that point. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest <laughs> part two <laughs> but i wanted to go back to this, this we're po- all sensitive and what everyone's a sensitive i mean soul. we're all yes yeah, we all have yeah, souls yeah, yeah, and yeah. we may have a sensitive part to ourselves some of us can just some people could just kind of suck it up and yeah. just go with the flow yeah, and yeah. then you know, and they go through life that yeah, way and, and yeah. totally and totally yeah, fine yeah um once once one's able to appreciate it and they're conscious of it then like and they dig yeah. And it comes to a level you gotta accept it. Yeah. How much once you know you can't put the water back into the bottle, you know? Yeah. I mean? Once you know, you know. And that's and that's a beautiful thing. You're living life on a whole nother plane. Mm. I love how we're here right now and talking about which is I believe that you you gave a lot of reference to the Tanya. Yeah. And you mentioned that that was a really powerful book and safer that inspired you deeply. Yes. How does the Tanya differ from a self help book? Well, it's kind of the first self help book. I don't really know a self help book beforehand. Mm-hmm. It's just it written in 1796. 
Which so it's is, the ultimate. Uh, it was the first of, of self Probably. Uh, Jung, Carl Jung actually said on his 80th birthday that he said, everything I taught, this is a quote, was anticipated by a rabbi. And it was the Maggid of Mizrich, who was the, the teacher of wow. the author of the Tanya. So like, we're That's talking funny. about Eastern Europe a hundred years before contemporary psychology. And yeah. you, you're, you're getting... The psychology in the Tanya. You f it feels like a it feels like kind of a therapist almost. That he he's talking to your vulnerabilities. He's yeah. saying it's okay to struggle, and I'm going to kind of hold your hand through that struggle and, and describe what some of it's like. Wow. I he mean, he also talks about different parts of you. Parts. Have you ever done parts therapy? Is that uh, like IFS? A a AFS? Yeah. 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 Of course. So I think Tanya is very similar to that. Like, there's different. He's saying there's different right. parts of you, and they're having a conversation. You have to respect the needs of each of them. Mm. Wow. Yeah. What would you say the needs of the, I mean, cause, and to break that down. Yes. I mean, wow, there's so much to unpack there. First call, <laughs> wow. <laughs> call Young, quoting yes. the, Maggid, the Maggid. I mean, the first self-public being Natanya. Yeah. Like, that's that's amazing. And there's something, and, and again, just giving like reference to like growing up, you know, in the Shiva system, it wasn't taught that way. And I'm right. so frustrated yeah, by that. It's not taught, I'm so I'm so yeah, frustrated yeah. by that because I'm here reading every self-help book in the world, and there's a lot of truth there, and I get inspired, mm -hmm, and I've mm -hmm. made a lot of change through it. Yes. In my in my now being in my early 30s, I'm learning Tanya slowly. I'm dipping back in because there's a lot Could of. You use my book. Not yet. We should use my book. I know the practical yeah, Tanya. Yeah. It's fantastic. Big yeah. shout out to it. A lot of people have been been preaching about it, mm -hmm. and uh, I, and I and God willing, I will. Because I know that there's a deeper layer to all the self-development books that I'm reading. There's mm. something deeper because I, when I do study Tanya and I get bits and pieces here and there from friends, it hits me differently. You know, cuts mm. deeper. And uh, I'm a. But yeah. I think you see the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, Rebbe Shnazama, He was. I went around the country speaking about this when the book came out. He was a great empath. Mm. He actually writes in a letter. The following: He says, "Don't come and visit me." Because every time someone visits me, a little bit of your pain goes into my heart. Oof. And I have no more room in my heart. Like I've t it, it's like my inbox is full. I can't take any more pain. Wow. And he says, I hate my life. <laughs> he says, what, are you, yeah. what are you talking about? And about? Mamish, he says, I literally hate my life. Oh my and God. if you keep coming, I will run away. Wow. And, and so just read the book. Don't <laughs> come. That's why he wrote the book. Because he, he couldn't take it. And then it's it, it, like, here's my master class. Go here. It's like the notes. Yeah. He writes in the beginning. This is just notes of what I tell people when they come to see me. Wow. And then, and then he writes. It's also very peculiar. He writes in the beginning of the book. Um, how can you write a book which is counseling? Because counseling has to be according to the individual. You can't like write a standard text. Yeah. And he keeps pretty bunk, brings like 20 proofs. You can't do it. And then he doesn't really give a decent answer. <laughs> so what, what do you make of that? So... The way I read that is he's basically saying you, you have to be an empath to be a counselor because you have to listen, right? Yeah. I think he was such a huge empath that it kind of rubbed off in the book. Mm. So mm. even though, yeah, you're right, you don't actually kind of have an actual rabbi there, rabbi there, therapist there. It's his care comes across. Comes across. And, you feel and, hurt. Yeah, you feel hurt. Yeah, that's you what I think hurt. it is. Wow, wow. That's and why it's so successful because it, it was not... I mean, can you imagine how different our lives are from like 1796 in Eastern Europe? I mean, oh, yeah. There's no... No, you can't compare it. Yeah. But yet here it is a very living Yeah, book. so that really hit me. Uh, I was searching when I was about 20, 21. I was looking for meaning. I was not looking for Judaism. But I was looking for meaning. I was looking for philosophy. Yeah. I was looking for s something to soothe my soul. And it kind of all came together in that book because it's got philosophical sophistication yeah. it has psychological insight and then it has kabbalah which is this whole thing oh, which yeah. you know they never taught us in hebrew school no i'm still waiting to turn 40 to uh is that literal or is that more no one ever kept that yeah, yeah okay there you go <laughs> uh, the um is there a part of the tanya i mean there's some incredible chapters and lessons is the one that when you read it back then sticks out to you or something today that's relatable to you now that a little just a little tidbit a little a little knowledge you want to drop Oh, there's so much. Yeah. But, you know, the parts that... Chapter 33, I always loved, and I used to read it before I prayed every day, which is just kind of this kind of Zen meditation that, like, I'm present, God is present, everything is here, you can kind of breathe through it. It's very calming. 
Wow. Um, Meditation and Tanya. Yeah. Again, nev never, yeah. never taught that way. It, yeah, well, I actually translated it. Every time he has a meditation, I said the, the following meditation, which I was planning making, should do it one day, like actual meditations based on, there's about 20 times he says that. Yeah, that's a whole project in itself. But, but the, um, the basic difference between Tanya and the Judaism that preceded, like Maimonides' Judaism, is that Maimonides' God's in the heavens, and we're down here. And you can kind of text God, he might right. text you back, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Whereas in the Hasidic realm, it's like there's this presence of energy, divine energy, which is everywhere, and you can sense it in a rock, you can read it in a, in a flower. The beginning of the Zohar is a meditation on a flower. The beginning of part two of Tanya talks about how God's presence in a rock Mm, wow so you can kind of feel the energy it's right here it's not you're not texting heaven you're like it's right here it's present and if you could tune into that um it's, it's very soothing for the soul it's a yeah. whole different worldview it, yeah it peels yeah. back a layer of existence and yeah. like how you interact with the world around us yeah. not just you know right like you said the separation between this is holy, and it's calming it? you know when Eckhart Tolle came out with his whole yeah. um presence yeah. his whole thing present, no, and Oprah was pushing it you remember that yeah of course yeah. So I loved that book, and it, it, it so much of it sounded like Hasidic teaching. Yeah. So I, I, I took out certain lines, and I went up to like a very Hasidic mashpia, like a mentor, elderly mentor figure in Crown yeah. Heights, and I said, "Listen, uh, just look at this and tell me what you think." Okay, nice. <laughs> he's like, sorry, he started quoting from the Tanya or from. So Hasidic? he came back like, a couple of weeks later, and I said, "What do you think?" He says, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> so I told him it's like a non-Jewish guy, and it's mainstream. So he's like. He must have learned this. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So how do you answer that? Because a lot of that is, is there's always that counter answer, right? You you bring something to the table of some inspiration, some mm -hmm. insight, some quotes. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's in the Tanya. It's on the Yeah. Is that, yes, is that true? But also, is there something to say that they're they're pulling, I mean, did Eckhart Tolle learn Chassidus? Or is he pulling from some, <laughs> some well of truth yeah, that of exists? He's downloading. The Torah is down downloading. Right. We're downloading. We're downloading. Yeah. Is it wrong to get inspired by that kind of book, would you say? Well, I wouldn't recommend it for like your average Orthodox guy. I don't necessarily recommend it because there are things which, you know, if you're trying to keep the Torah, there are things which are not, will, might pull you in a different direction. Within that book. Yeah. But I think, you know, it depends on the individual. So I think it, it's on a case-by-case -case basis, I would say, you know. Yeah. yeah. I guess there's always a certain level of perhaps fear. So we always say, just don't do it because we're yeah. afraid on, on a general level that people may get yeah. Yeah. pulled off. But And and you're it's, saying also that there may be some truth. I mean, not just some truth. There is truth in there that you could pull from, but one has to be grounded and enough not only and to know truth. I mean, that's a heavy word, but language? I mean, we, have a, we never developed a language of spirituality in English for Hasidic wisdom, for Kabbalistic wisdom, because... Mm -hmm. Uh, Hasidic wisdom was really... Ira Kaplan-ish? Yeah, well, exactly. He started, you know, but he's just like one guy. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm saying the Chabad world. Yeah, yeah. It was, no one ever really did it. Mm. Um, you know, it was all, you read chapter five of Tanya, when an idea will be enclosed in your mind. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, an what idea? Mean? <laughs> it, yeah. If you're not using words that people use in everyday speech, you never say like, oh, you know, it's just something just enclosed in my mind yesterday. You would yeah, never yeah. speak like that. Yeah, so, yeah. so you, you know, you have to use words that actually... People uh, relate to and use every day. To. So we never really did that. That was, my, I think, one of my main contributions in the Practical Tanya yeah. that went in that direction. And some of it is in the contemporary New Age literature. Like the word uh, manifest. Mm -hmm. Manifest, sure. All the literature uses that. So it's like... So it's like, oh, I thought that was a weird word. No, it's actually a normal word. Yeah, so yeah. You can actually see, um, yeah, I think there is a, um, what's it called? A universal curriculum. That's, that's out that's there. That's a new age word. Right. That, that, that you know, uh, which, applies which, to everyone. Hasidic wisdom taps into that. It's a particularly Jewish spin on that. But I think there's a universal curriculum. And I think we have yet to do the job of, extracting our contribution to the universal curriculum in Hasidic wisdom and sharing it with what would be new what would be new if you're saying that yeah. we're tapping from this well this download then if someone would come about and pull from the Hasidic yes. teachings what would be a new angle then that's being shared right now because there's a lot of wisdom out there I'm blown away yeah. on the social and TikTok on mm -hmm. IG people who are, are sharing like a lot of deep mental health yeah um, wisdom yeah and and growth yeah 
what, how would it, how would it sound different? How would it hit differently if it was shared from a Hasidic text, a Tanya base? And would also yeah. someone who isn't Jewish, who doesn't say that, let's say, quote unquote, that Jewish soul, would mm. it be received in that deep manner? It's a great question. Uh, well, first of all, there might be fresh ideas that no one's heard before. Just simple answer. I would say that, you know, I've been engaged with this material for years now. I think the hallmark of Hasidic wisdom, of Kabbalistic wisdom, Jewish spiritual wisdom, which comes across very strongly, is integration. Yeah. I think that's what Jung was talking about, by the way. Because mm -hmm. Jung's central thesis is you have to integrate your shadow. There's yeah. part of you that you didn't like, yes. and therefore you right. kind of put it in, in, in the kind of trash can of your psyche, mm -hmm. and then you end up projecting it on everyone else. So the mm -hmm. thing you hate in other people yeah, it's ends up, actually that's the thing you need to heal in yourself. Mm -hmm. um, like, I'll tell you a story. So I had a guy that came to me and he says, you know, I had this dream. And my, the dream was my son was going near this pool of um, poisonous water. And I was telling him, don't go in, don't go in. Mm -hmm. And he didn't listen to me. And he goes in the poisonous water. And then I'm thinking, should I go in to save him? But then what's the point? If I go in, I'll die as well. Mm. That's the dream. So I said, well, what do you think the dream means? He says, well, it's kind of obvious. It means that my son is going to do some, he's going to involve in sinful, inappropriate behavior. And I want to kind of go there to rescue him, but I can't go there with him, and he's not listening to me. So I said, like, that's not what it means. Well, at least I don't think that's what it means. I'll tell you what it means. That pool of water is all the parts of your personality that you have repressed. Oh. All, the, all your issues Oof. you never dealt with, that you shoved in your subconscious and you don't even recognize as your own. And your son is drowning in that because he can't connect with you mm, because wow. he notices that stuff, whereas you don't. You know. How do you, um, the, oh, I don't think it's a joke, but the, the simple answer to the question is how do you identify your shadow yeah. if you can't see it? Just ask anyone. Everyone else knows it. Right. <laughs> They're all right talking there. about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's all the right. stuff you've repressed. Right. And therefore, how could you have a healthy, you know, he's drowning in that stuff because, you know, that's his kind of legacy from you. And until you jump in the pool and you die, which means you reinvent yourself, or you, you know, therapy's death really because you have to kind of kill off Mm. maladaptive um, parts of your, your personality. So until yeah. you go and kind of take the struggle of facing your darkness and healing it, you, the people around you are going to suffer. So that's what Jung stressed very much. And I think Torah, not that I'm an expert in, in comparative religion, but Torah, you see again and again, emphasizes integration. Get that part of you which, you know, uh, well, let's just look at it from a simple level. So you have a Hasidic idea it's mentioned thousands of times that when the Torah was given at Sinai, the heavens came down and they met the earth. They're two parts that, that you know, they can't meet. Uh, but on a personal level, what does that mean? It means that, you know, you have your outer personality that you show in the world. You have your inner personality, which is something different. Yep. I come from England. That there's a big difference to the, the, the outer <laughs> and the inner because, you know, you have this formal external oh, of thing. Course, I and then, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, integration is so important. The Torah is associated in Kabbalistic wisdom with the divine energy of Tiferes. Tiferes means the harmony between yeah. the two extremes. Yeah. So uh, the two extremes are chesed and gevura, which in simple language means stimulate, stimulation, or structure. Every decision you make is basically, do I stimulate myself, enjoy myself now, have a good time? Or mm -hmm. do I like, you know, I don't eat the cake because I want to improve my health. I'm kind of building for the long-term structure. Some more discipline. And you're always doing a playoff and they're, they're polar opposites. The middle is I'm able to integrate the opposites. Mm -hmm. And I think that this, the spiritual um, energy of Torah is very rich in integration, which is very therapeutic and very needed. Uh, so I think that would shine, that's a long answer to your question. I think that would shine through in our contribution to the universal curriculum. Tremendous. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's really, that's really, that's really fascinating. And I, I wonder like, I never if, thought of that before, by the way, I'm just kind of channeling us on the spot. These are not canned answers. Yeah, no, yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, these, and some of these yeah. questions aren't either. I am pulling for some questions <laughs> I prepared for, but the one that led it to this one yeah. was not. So I, I appreciate that we're creating in this moment yeah. here. Um, do you th yeah, do you think it's necessary? Is it needed to channel that through religious acts or or can one stay connected to God through the through the learning of Kabbalah 
and 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 that being okay, or and they do the kiddush and watch TV on Friday night. I think ritual is very powerful. You know, it has a deep psychological effect. I think the Jewish rituals are ancient, um, and therefore, you know, we have a collective consciousness as Jews, and therefore, there's a particular power, and that's why so many people like their first encounter was putting on tefillin or keeping the Shabbos. I think that's powerful. Uh, you know, obviously, yeah. if it's done wrong, then it can be counterproductive. Um, but um, I think it's, it's you really got to harmonize both. It's all yeah. about, um, you know, I I uh, had a friend, I have a friend who went through the Kabbalah Center and like his whole exposure was a very spiritual Judaism. And then he became upset with it. He left and then he went to like a more orthodox synagogue. And so the first class he goes in and they're learning the Kitzur Shulchan which is basic laws of Judaism. Mm-hmm. So they learn a law and they're moving to the next law. And then he goes like, Rabbi, uh, you forgot to explain the consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> you just said, like, the law. Right. And he, the rabbi's like, well, we're just learning halacha at the moment. So he's like, no, 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 there's got to be consciousness. <laughs> I love so, that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it's true. It, gotta, it, it's, you know. Go back to that integration part. Like, there's, there's, yes. there's a part Some of it Some people too. connect more with the spiritual part. Right. Some, Some connect more the, with the, the ritual. The ritual the... I think, I, ideally, you want to have both because that's, that's going to be, you know, a, a full integrated system, but you know, everyone has to find their path. Mm. So fair enough. Pivoting from like, we talked about for a while, the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe, moving yes. on to a, to another, the Rebbe, yes. the recent, uh, most recent, the seventh Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Schneerson. Um, just to give some context, you wrote, you wrote a book about him, about his, li- about his life, which I'm in the middle of right now. And it's blowing my mind and re and, and it's, it's reestablishing a deeper connection and and a, and a view on the Rebbe, which Just I grew up with. Mention the name of the book, so people can. Uh... It's actually I, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, what it's it? called Turning Judaism Outward. Turning Judaism. Oh my God, I love that. My name is Chaim Rabbi, Miller. Do you, yeah. you write Rabbi Chaim Miller in your books? Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, so just giving some guys, you did write thirteen books within ten years. Something like that. That's insane. Right, full time. I mean, also, and you're a graphic designer on the side. Yeah. Oh my gosh, do you design the book covers? I don't always do the covers, but I design the inside before I write the book because I want to see like what it's going to look like mm. before it actually, that inspires me to write the book, which is a weird way of doing it, but it works for me. Yeah, yeah. right. I love that. Also from the inside yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Don't judge a book by its yeah. cover. But I'm always involved in the design of the cover. I won't, I'm yeah. Cover, you just, yeah. you're in there. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Um, how do you choose? I always wonder like from book to book, different authors choose different photos, you know, like, you know, there's sometimes a more pensive look or something a little a more. A photo of the author? Yeah. In the back. I just do a recent one. Yeah. Just, you know, after you've got to have a recent photo otherwise you turn up for like a speaking gig they're like who the heck are you <laughs> we, we're expecting this guy here and you look yeah, so they feel catfished <laughs> I hear it <laughs> so tur- turning Judaism outwards yes love it thank you I'm loving it and uh, I'm reconnecting with my Rebbe audible also if you like on audible yes yeah is it your voice no <laughs> By the way, if you ever do it, and it's you a British guy though. It's a British guy. So it's good, close right. enough. Yeah, it sounds even wiser than than even more so. Yeah. Um, when you were doing the research for this for this for this book, how first of all, how long did it take you to do research on this book? And also, was there anything that came up in the research that you were like, oh, you know, I did not know that about the Rebbe, and it's that's really special. It's really great. Yeah, this book was really like twenty years in the making. Yeah, wow. because I turned up in Chabad in the a few months after in 1992, a few months after the Rebbe had had a debilitating stroke and he couldn't speak, and so everyone I knew had been by his speeches and they'd met him in his office and they had the dollars. I was like the only one. Wow, <laughs> that had never. Ex- I mean, I saw him. He was, you know, it was an experience, but it was nothing compared to like when he was well. Yeah. And so I always had this outsider complex. It's like I kind of missed the boat. Uh, wow, wow. Yeah, this is happening yeah. while the was around, but you still yeah. feel like you've still and missed then out. He passed away. And I always felt like I kind of missed out. I never had real access. So it made me even more curious. There's nothing. It's mm, uh, a fire. Yeah, yeah. I was like, so for years. And I was asking about what, what you know, where did the rebel come from? What's his background? Well, no one had any answers. So for years afterwards, I was always collecting information. And, and, and so I wasn't actively researching a book, but it was just like I wanted to know everything about him. And, um, and then shortly afterwards, like every great person has a book about them. So I was always saying to my friends, why is there no book about them? And I was like, you can't do it. 
it's impossible because because you know they'd experienced him. There's no way you can put wow. that experience in the book. You're being yeah shut down. That can happen. Yeah, it's too, too totally grand. shut down. Okay. And you know, I was like, okay, guess you're right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then it was it was bothering me for years. Like, why is there no book? And then I had a junky car at the time that used to break down all the time. So I was having it fixed, and some other Lubavitcher guy was having his junky car fixed, and we were just talking there. I was expressing this frustration because Steinsaltz, Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, blessed memory, who is a uh, great Jewish intellectual, and he was also a, an admirer and, and disciple of the Rebbe. So he said on the Rebbe's 10th yard site, the Rebbe's becoming a myth. Wow. Which was awful. It's like, you're right. Wow. Like, okay, the Baal Shem Tov who lived in the 1700s in, in Eastern Europe, kind of, you know, obviously he was a real figure, but we... It's enshrouded in mystery, but the Rebbe lived in Brooklyn, like in the 20th century. It shouldn't become a myth. Yeah. Because you can't really tell fact from fiction. There are so, so many, many stories. stories. Yeah. Right. So that really irritated me. Like, we've got to do something about that. And so that was bothering me. So I met this guy with a junkie car, and he says, I said, well, yeah, we got to, I've got to write about the Rebbe, but everyone's telling me it's impossible. And he says, just write facts. I was like, really? He says, yeah, just write facts. Hmm. Like, well, so, so that just suddenly clicked in me like I'm just going to do that so I mean you have to kind of try and string a story but I kept it to the minimum and I just kind of wrote facts about his life and I feel that you know to some extent the myth was a little bit dissipated because you do have a baseline factual yeah. story of which everything else you know you yeah. can put on top of it but, you know. right and also you see people I strongly believe that, you know, in the Rebbe's lifetime, when you, could, when you saw a man of flesh and blood, the emphasis was, this is not just a man of flesh and blood. Because mm. your eyes are telling you, this is just a man of flesh, this is just a guy. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. But there's so, so much you, more there. So, so you needed that emphasis, you know, there's more to that. This, this is a, a person of, you know, elevated mystical status, deep insight, who, who knows. What. But when he passed, and then you have this whole generation of people like yourself, I mean, what? I was yeah, I was yeah, three, four when Rebbe passed. Right, yeah. right. So, so there's no you never saw this man of flesh and blood. So, so you just have not, this, the, connect, the story yeah. of his spiritual depth. Yes. So then you kind of need the actual facts of the flesh and blood to 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 to, yes. to complement it. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's absolutely. Like, and and, and yeah. that's where I connect with. Yeah. Like, I see him more as a person of yeah. flesh and blood. Yeah. Gives me so much more appreciation for mm -hmm. the spiritual giant and yes. the and the yes. and the leadership leader that he was. Yes. Because now there's something to like to yeah. ground it in. Right. And 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 his relatability. Now as I grow into the leader that I want to be, mm. there's like now, oh, that's an inspiration. That's someone who was yeah. of of this world and had so much empathy for for every yes. person that came through. He had yes. the time, the diligence, he helped people by a certain standard, like oh, and, yeah. and and the yeah, this the deep love. It goes on and on. Yeah. I do love this one bit of the story where story, the fact that you've written where he <laughs> there's this part where someone came to the Rebbe's house and he had his chair flip backwards and he was like sort of leaning on it with his hands over the top oh, of it yeah, yeah, yeah. talking to his wife in yeah, a very yeah, relaxed yeah, yeah. manner yeah. just I love that I got in trouble for that by the way did you? yes but it's a fact I'll tell you why because uh, Steinhaus's book was people had it he wrote it actually 20 years beforehand oh, and did it he? circulated people had it oh. and the, I actually had that unpublished manuscript and I quoted from the unpublished one and in the published one he cut it out <laughs> oh, really? Because it was a bit too it's raw. A yeah. too, it's a little too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too, too human. Too so human. then someone sends me this message. It doesn't say that in Stein's answers book. I said, really? I, look, I looked at the print book, right? It's not there. Thrown on the bus yeah. there. But uh, it was in an earlier. So what? Yes. Yeah, I love that. And Because yes. you didn't see that kind of chill. The Rebel was never chill. No, yeah, no. He, he always, always felt like yeah. business. Yeah. Held it down, yeah. serious, got the got the yes. job done. Yes. Um, never really thought of him as a romantic, you know. Look, I just mm. looked deep into his wife's eyes, you know, and yeah. had a conversation. Yeah, I think he, yeah. Um, how did it feel when you worked so hard on this book yeah. for the 25th year anniversary, it right? Was of, the 20th, actually. I'm sorry, the 20th, yeah. was it? Yeah, okay, yeah. the 20th anniversary of the Rebbe's passing, the art site, and then you worked so long for, and so hard, and then two other books come out at the same time. Yeah, that was a bit weird. It was kind of validating. Uh huh. Because, uh, you know, when everyone says you can't write about the rabbit, there was a point. It wasn't, they weren't talking absolute nonsense. There was something about uh, the rabbit's presence that was just, you know, you couldn't capture it. And I think that, you know, if I'd written the book 10 years early, I, I don't know if it would have been accepted. It, it was a, I think it signified mm. 
that you know the world's ready for this. Other people are doing it. Right. Yeah. It's no chance. Yeah. Right. So it's it's time to 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 put something out. Because listen, history is always a little bit detached. It's always a little bit uh, dispassionate. Yeah. And that's not what Chassidus is about. It's about being passionate. Yes. It's about being engaged. So it is a difficult lens through which to capture Hasidic life. So right? it's nature. Yeah. Now, if I would come to you now and say, what about making a film about the Rebbe? Uh, what, would that, what would that sound like? Or do you think it would be the same reaction initially? Oh, it can't be done, but then like in 10 years from now, it's time. I would love it. I think it'd be great. Yeah. 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 Person, that's my personal view. Maybe others would feel it'd be yeah. irreverent. It, I guarantee you one thing. Everyone that would say the film's awful and irreverent and inappropriate, they'd all watch it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. They'd have to have, get their opinion somehow. Yeah, I, listen, I think that, you know, there's different ways of getting the message out to people and video film is, is like the genre of it's our generation. One. So yeah. Yeah, I think it, it could be done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are I, you working on that? I hear that. It's something that I we we yeah. actually yeah we we briefly yeah. talked about it off 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 the podcast, yeah. and it's something that's planted in my mind. I think there's so many biopics about so many biopics great leaders. can capture things, but they can also you know listen. It's never a perfectly loyal thing, but sometimes you can take the mess. Did you see this um, thing about Watergate that came out of the show with um, Julia Roberts and uh, not recently? No, I haven't. No, I watched it. It's unbelievable. unbelievable. I don't really know the story of Watergate, but it, yeah. obviously it's not exactly true sure but it kind of tells the story better than the original yeah so and i think you might be able to do that you might be able to bring out certain aspects that do uh, i have the book rights to well you could we could discuss we could, <laughs> <laughs> the rabbi is changing many colors right now <laughs> so um to just to uh, to move things along um another incredible uh an interesting uh, part of you. I want to say this is all of you, but something mm -hmm. another like fascinating element that you that you gift to people at times is um, your knowledge in astrology. Well, this is a recent development. Just a COVID, you know. It was, yes. but yeah, just born in COVID. COVID. Well, I had it done on me about seven, eight years ago. I had my birth chart read by an orthodox person. Uh huh. Because astrology, there's problems in in in, in well, Jewish law. Well, let's be honest. Is it kosher yeah. or not kosher? Well, it's a mix. It's a mix. Yeah, predictive astrology is not kosher. So can you, I mean, for yeah. those, for one-on-one, astrology one-on-one, what's predictive astrology and what's there's the... Two, what was, basically, the there's one? two types of astrology, predictive and psychological. So psychological would be just like, I'm telling you what's going, like the inner map of your soul, the inner map of your psyche, uh -huh. your struggles, the, your inner conflict. And this helps... Which is person. always, predictive would be like, you know, you're going to get married in three weeks' time, or like you've got to go to Malaysia uh -huh. to find your, you know, just like Home, more about the, the external world. So the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, says you should not consult an astrologer for predictive work. Because, not that it doesn't work, uh, it, it actually says if, if you did go, you've got to listen to the astrologer because otherwise you're relying on a miracle. Oh, wow. So it's a tremendous validation of astrology. But it says you shouldn't because the Torah says, Tamim which means be vulnerable before God. If he's going to throw you a, a, a curveball, you know, go with it. You'll be okay. Right. You'll man up to it. You'll give yourself a hug. You'll get through it. But if you knew that curveball's coming... You would try and avoid it. Mm -hmm. But it's coming for a reason, right? So yeah. the predictive stuff messes with your mind. Imagine if I told you, like, in three weeks' time, God forbid, you're going to be run over by a bus. You'd go crazy, right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's why, even if it was true, yeah. I might be, you know, and then the guy might be wrong, or it could be that, you know, someone else would be run over by a bus. Right. I hear <laughs> so that. predictive stuff just messes with you. Um, but the Talmud, which is the, you know, the core traditional beliefs of Judaism, did embrace. Uh, psychological astrology, which is kind of, I'll give you an example. It says, like, if you're born, the planet Mars is really strong, then it means you're going to be very aggressive. Right. That's a famous one. Yeah. Right, right. And they can so, be either a yeah, or, yeah. or a male. Right. So there's never been, I don't know, recently, we don't really have people practicing this in the Jewish community because it was always deemed to be, you know, to, to, to make the distinguish, to distinguish between the two. Well, there's a handful of people that do it, but not a lot. So I had it done on me, and it blew my mind. Right. It's like, whoa. What kind of, so what kind of insight came in when you did your reading? Like, what was something you didn't know? What was a blind spot that um, came to light? I'll give you an example, right? So Let's get vulnerable, Rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> um, something always confused me about myself. Like, I do public speaking. Yeah. I love it. And the more people in the room, the better. I can speak to a thousand people. Mm. I feed off the energy. I come across confident. Um, but I'm not. Confident. Not really. I'm more sensitive, shy. 
emo very emotional. Um, so that's an odd combinations. I used to joke, I'm a shy extrovert, you know. Ambervert. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's a, I have a strong need for it. Like, I can't, if I'm in a room and I'm not the center of attention, I, I get wound up. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like a strong need. Uh, but on the, and, and sometimes I just want to be away from everyone. So I saw, like, in my birth chart, my rising sign, which is like how you behave in front of others is Leo, which is like very confident, uh, very much like I'm the center of attention, very enjoying there. the line, like shining. But my sun sign is cancer. And I got a whole bunch of planets there, which is about um, uh, being more sensitive, shy, emotional. I'm always like drowning in feelings. So explain mm. that. Mm. Um, so knowing this now, yeah. what besides validating how you feel in yeah. both scenarios, how does that benefit you? Because it's a map of your chaos. If you're just going through life, so it's just like, hey, I'm feeling really proud of my, I'm feeling very confident now. Now I'm feeling really shy. I, I feel like, you know, I'm, it's like two people, three people going on. So the chart, the birth chart gives you this kind of map. So you know that in this context, you're confident. In this context, you're shy. It's just a very small example. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that's really what it is, I would say, a map of your chaos. So this way, right? Now, the Jewish perspective, you see, the non-Jewish perspective is very much kind of the stars see this, so it has to be. Mm. It's kind of decreed in heaven, so if you don't agree, it's your problem, it's really happening. I always use this, since I've discovered it, as a counseling tool, which I say, listen, this is just, this chart means nothing. It's just a tool to accelerate your understanding of yourself. If it does that, all well and good. If it doesn't, just forget about it. It doesn't mean anything, right? Right. So it's just as kind of true as it is useful. That's the way I look at it. You don't have to believe in it, not believe in it. It's just let's talk about... It's there. It it exists. What it really is, the way I I look at it is it's it's the moment of your birth. Every moment has an energetic imprint. And when you pop into the world, you think that is what the whole world is like. The moment that you're born into... If you're born on a bus, you think the world's a bus, right? Right. If you're born in England... I was born in England... So everyone's very reserved in England. When I was 16, us, our um, high school did a swap with a school in Montclair, New Jersey. Oh. We did like a month in this you spent Montclair the- Kimberley Academy, it was called. And then I was like, oh my God, England sucks. I thought it's <laughs> normal like just to hold in all your feelings and be very proper and formal, but it's actually just a way of being. It mm. doesn't have to, and it didn't, for, for emotional it didn't really suit me because it's too much repression. Right, yeah. it didn't work. Um, so the chart's a bit like that. You're born with a certain imprint. So you're always going to kind of, it's, it's the colored glasses through which you're looking at the world. Right. Yeah. So to the, the more you know yourself, the more power yeah. you, could, you know how you show up and more yeah. you could perhaps avoid or, or yeah. be prepared for. And... No, I'm a bit embarrassed of it because, you know, in intellectual circles, astrology is considered complete hogwash. Yeah. You didn't know that? No. Oh, okay. Why well, is you're that? Obviously, not hanging out. I had fine British schooling. Oh gosh! If any of my, you know, New, uh, but you have thirteen books in your in your in the bag right now. So no one can my really... my uh, guys I went to high school with found out about this. Uh-huh. They'd be laughing at me from haberdashers. Haberdashers. Well, Sasha Baron Cohen was there. He wouldn't be laughing at me. Oh, yeah, he, is he? He went to that same school. Yeah, he was a year above me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Was he? Was he? Uh, he wasn't funny then. No. 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 Wow. No. <laughs> okay. He blossomed yeah. later. Well, he it, blossomed later. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have that many friends. I, mean, I don't want to assume me. He might be listening to this. Yeah. And he's a big yeah. fan of the podcast, <laughs> but he, he's a friend. Hi, so. Sasha, if you're there. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, was, <laughs> he wasn't. A, I mean, I remember because he had his silly name. But wow. So, he bl- wow yeah. so when you saw him, did you did you read his chart? Do you know his chart? Does it make sense? <laughs> no. Is his moon in cancer? I haven't read his chart. <laughs> well, talk uh, about reading charts. I do. When yeah. I wa- if like I watch a movie or something, I, I have to look at the chart because like, yeah. what's going on? It, it, listen, it's a level of insight. Um, there's a guy, what's his name? Christopher Hitchens. He's not alive anymore. He said that astrology is the most feeble-minded form of superstition. Wow. Which I kind of, the, the, kind of, the British snotty intellectual me likes that. It's like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, right. Problem is, it kind of actually works. It's a bit of a problem. Wow, it's fascinating. So, I mean, so, you're talking know, about this somewhat. Basically, the Enlightenment, when scientific revolution occurred, they took astronomy, science took astronomy, and they trashed astrology. It was respected in every culture for like 4,000 years old. But all the Kabbalists accepted it. The Talmud accepts it. Yeah. Maimonides not, but he was like a lone voice against it. Uh-huh. So there's a rich Jewish tradition. Ibn Ezra, Avram Ibn Ezra, who was a, a medieval Torah commentator, he wrote 14 books on astrology. Wow. And he, his Torah commentary reads almost every verse through an astrological lens. So it's definitely, um, and of course, we have the famous Jewish saying, Mazel Tov. 
Yes. Which which Mazel means astrology, basically. It's you based know, I on this astrological moment. So wow. uh, listen, I it I don't want to become the astrological rabbi. I'm I'm scared of that. Yeah. because uh, it's just too that's not what I want to do. But you just never have to show your face in England ever I, again. <laughs> when when I do sit down with people and I'm counseling them, I'm trying to help them, yeah. I just found it a very useful resource. Tool. And, hey, yeah. when's your birthday? And I did take a look. And my chart. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we, we have not discussed this. We have not. No, 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 no we no, haven't. No, I did no, share no. with the rabbi previously before this podcast my information, my chart, so he could look it up. Yes. And and from knowing me from the external world, social yes. media, I mean, and a little bit more intimately in this conversation. Yes. Are you surprised by what you saw in the chart? Uh, there's always surprises. What's come up? Yeah. What's most significant is the moon sign. See, my a lot moon of sign? people. Let me just explain a bit of the background. So everyone yeah. knows, like, they have a sign. Yeah. My sign. That's just the sun. The moment you're born, all ten planets are in a sign. So you really have like the moon's in a sign, the sun's mm -hmm. in a sign, Mercury's in a sign. Right. Sign and moon are called planets in astrology. They're not really planets. Right. Stars. Yeah. But not raised for It's astrology. So you don't just have one sign. You have ten. So forget about I have a sign because oh. it could be like that kind of watered out by the other planets. So you really have to look at the whole picture and especially the moon because the moon is Why the, the moon? inner you. And the sun is the outer? The sun is the outer uh -huh. you. Okay. The sun is how you're shining in the world. Uh, so your yeah. sun yes. is almost in the middle of the sky. And that is the optimal place. The, the sun is strongest. When I was born, you're saying yes. that the sun was literally yes. physically in Yes, it was fiddling in the sky. Okay. And it's in a place in the chart called the 10th house. Okay. Which is the house of career. Uh -huh. uh, and this is a very common placement by people who have uh, public figures. Oh, because yeah. Because it's like you want to shine in public. Ah. So that was not surprising. Okay. Uh, not, not wrong. But what is interesting is your moon is in Scorpio. Which means? So that means that basically the way I would describe it is you are feeling your emotions. Like the volume is too loud on your feelings. Uh -huh. That's what it is. Too loud. Too loud. Yeah. Too loud. Too loud. Why so is it like, too loud? It's like a bit deafening. Like you're feeling... Your feelings are more intense. Like if you were just be someone else for a day, you're like, hey, my feelings are much less intense. Huh. You're feeling feelings very intensely. And you, you see, Scorpio is water that's under the earth. It's well, it's well water. That's the symbolism of Scorpio. Oh. Cancer and Pisces, which are the other waters. Oh, just to fill in in case um, some of your listeners. Four, yeah. four elements. There's four elements yeah. in the um, ancient world. Air, earth, fire, and water, which are kind of more metaphysical than physical, they're spiritual. And the 12 zodiac signs fall into the four elements. So you have three zodiac signs for each element. So the water signs are Scorpio, Pisces, and Cancer. Wow. So Cancer is like a sea. If I'm Cancer, I'm always like drowning in feelings, but I'm noticing them. Um, Pisces is like a river. So feelings are flowing, but they move. Scorpio is under the ground, so it's very, very deep feeling, and it doesn't move, so you get stuck on these feelings, mm. and it's very hard to, uh, they're just stronger than you want them to be. As an emotional person like yourself, is that something you connect with, or is it a different type of emotion you were talking it's different. about? different. My emotions are like, uh, they're switching all the time, like super moody. Uh -huh. I'm so moody, so I'm just like up, down, left, right, all different, you know, every hour of the day, I'm in a different mood. Yeah. Whereas Scorpio is like, you can get obsessed with a certain thing and just kind of sticks with it for years. Yeah. It's a very, it's the most intense moon. Oof. Yeah. Does Yay. that make sense? <laughs> I mean, you want it to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, this is great. Um, I definitely <laughs> connect with that. <laughs> I definitely connect with that in the yes. sense that I, I, more recently as I'm, you know, excavating myself. Yes. Um, I'm realizing that there is, I have a very deep, yes. there's a depth to me that's very, very deep, which I don't think it really comes through my videos or even to myself that I know for a while. More recently, I've, I've come to know this side. And well, it's, it's coming through our conversation. Yeah, yes, and um, and it doesn't come through your music videos. Yeah, like when you're just kind of burning energy at that's an alarmingly the sun. fast the sun. The sun. <laughs> Yeah, thank God for that too. I have you know all all, all within me. Yeah, but uh, yeah, there's definitely a depth to me that, I, and the feelings that when get uncomfortable, yes, could sit there and manifest yes. and and could really take hold. Yeah, where. It gets too overbearing, and yeah. and then for for a long time I didn't even know that part of myself, yeah. right? And and now even now in this conversation you're giving new language to it, right? Which I appreciate, right? But yes, it's something that I've come to realize later on. Men are taught not to feel so much culturally. Yeah, you tend men are not as in touch with their moon as 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 women. But if you have a Scorpio moon, you're gonna feel it. 
And yeah. You feel like very strong pull. Towards the moon. So and, and, and often towards darker things. Scorpio is, you know, it's like to think about death and sex and like the kind of, um, you know, the, the raw parts of humankind, not just, you know, the happy-go-lucky stuff. Mm, mm. Interesting. But your sun and most of your planets in Capricorn, so actually there's a lot of stability there. There is a lot of, yeah. right, a lot of and a lot of. You say, I thought you are going to be this fire sign, just this very loud. Uh-huh. But you're not really. Right. No. Right, you're, you're surprised when I give you my yeah, time. You're like, are you sure? Yeah, you're like more like the businessman. You've got your career in mind. You're planning it through. You're go-getter. You've got yes. that kind of. Yes. You've got kind of a lot of stability. Like the middle layer of your personality is quite stable, but there's a deep instability, I think, that, that, that that could from the moon, which could uh... not great for my shuttle system right now. <laughs> <laughs> Say some more about the sun stuff. <laughs> I get it. Um, I hear it. So, and, and so now, so what would it be if from your from your um, getting a little coach here right now from that yes. from that moon in Scorpio? What would be a counter to that? What, what would be helpful to now that I know this? Yes. What could help work towards that so it doesn't I don't get stuck in that in that space? Well, feelings are like a tunnel. You got to go through it to get to the other side. And a lot of the time, you know, if you don't feel your feelings, they get stuck in your body. Yeah. So um, when you're having this very deep feeling, you're going to kind of make an effort to, you know, what am I feeling? Go there, be there, be there with it, and just give yourself permission to feel that. Mm -hmm. If you're knocking it down, it's like a nuclear... um, Scorpio's got kind of nuclear energy to it. It's very, very powerful. And you... You and can't suppress it. Eventually, it will explode. Sure. Yeah. So in a positive manner, yeah. Moon and Scorpio, what are the benefits of that? It means that you kind of, you can smell beer. Like, you can really... I'm an empath? <laughs> uh, no, 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 you're not actually... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Actually, I feel like no, I, at times I am, but, but, but go. Scorpio is like a one-way empath. Empaths like this. I have a feeling. You feel a bit of my feeling. Yeah. And you mirror back to me that you're feeling my feeling. That's what, that's what empathy is. Essence. Now, Scorpio is basically, I have a feeling. You know what I'm feeling, but you're not mirroring it back because it's like deep inside you. So it's like you're, you've got one part of the empath. So then yeah. to go back to the, what, yeah. was, what, are the, what are the pros to that? So like, you're getting the other person. I'm getting they're the They're not person. getting the fact that they're getting you. Right. They don't get me. I'm getting <laughs> no. them. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, I, <laughs> That's my life. Yeah. <laughs> but a very uh, profound insight. Like yeah. Scorpio's a detective. You you could smell out yeah. stuff that's uh, yeah. Scorpio's like. I'm what sorry. is the unstated narrative? What is the hidden mm-hmm. what's agenda not being said here? here? Yeah, what's not being said? What's yeah. the elephant? In the you can yes. and you can sniff yes. it out. You and for go the longest time, I deny it. that. But now yeah. I'm starting to learn to trust my intuition. Yeah, yeah. because when I'm with people, whether it's around business or personal, yes. I'm starting to notice like you know you trust that. Like even yes. though it's not being said and no one else realizes it, it's yes. like you're, you're, yes. there's something here that you know. Yes, um, you have quite a strong drive. Your Mars in Sagittarius, Mars is drive, yeah. Mars is in fire. Yeah. That's pretty strong. Like you'll go get Delicious. her. You can fight. You're willing to fight. It's not the strongest, but it's pretty strong. And I found like in couples work, mm-hmm. marriages work well when the Mars is a matched. I didn't read this anyway. It just kind of popped up. Hmm. So like if someone has a very, Mars would be like how committed you are to winning, winning a fight. And what is marriage is basically a bunch of fights. Okay? Yeah, but is it also like, are you, do you sometimes, is it also unhealthy to hold on for too long? You sometimes just mm. gotta like bow out and say, hey man, it's not worth fighting yeah. anymore. Yeah, that's also true. But how committed are you? So wh- people with strong Marses get on well together because they fight it out. Yeah. People with weak Marses, they don't, it's yeah. kind of passive aggressive, but they're not fighting. But if oh. you have strong and weak, so one, one person's winning all the arguments and the other one feels like a schmatter. So, Unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. I've yeah. noticed that is, um, just like simple insights, done. yeah, yeah. Wow, amazing. And and I guess you said self-explanatory. The but sun. again, this is just as if it if Very it resonates, if yeah. it's useful. This is not Torah mysticized. It's not Torah. It's just it's just a way of of understanding us because you know I've always been um, complex, moody. I get in depressive modes. I get yeah. in high, and I've always tried to understand myself. So I always look for different ways. I used to use Myers Briggs and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, sure. But astrology is like Myers Briggs on steroids, basically. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Could yeah. people reach out to you if they want to get their of chart read? Of course. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Promo code Mayor uh, K. We'll get. <laughs> how are they going to reach out to me? They'll, well, that's that's the lead into that. How oh, yes. can people connect with you? Uh, rabbi at rabbichaimiller.com. Okay. Website. That? Yeah, that's rabbichaimiller.com. Chaim Miller Gmail also works. Okay. Are you Instagram? Uh, yeah. Your rabbi. Y O U R. Rabbi. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
Well, Rabbi Chaim Miller, I got to say, this was a joy and a, a deep insight into myself, into the Rebbe, into Chassidus, into your life. And I really, really appreciate you making the time today to chat with me. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you for being who you are. You uh, bring light to so many people through your... I'm, I'm sure you do other stuff besides social media. and uh, <laughs> But where I see you is just uh, happy and embracing. And, and you do have like a, a, a kind of love and joy that you emanate. So keep doing that. Keep lighting people up. And, and, and keep talking. I didn't know you, you, you were such a fantastic um, oh, like conversationalist and getting into deep stuff. I, didn't, I had no idea what we'd be talking about. And there you go. This has been great. So yeah, keep thank, doing your stuff. I shall. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. And thank you, Chaim, for making the time for coming out to the studio and recording this one with me. I really deeply enjoyed this conversation and our walk back after the conversation. It was uh, just really good to know you on a deeper level. Um, be sure to check out Chaim's works in the show notes, uh, his books. Um, he's an unbelievable author and has a great way of bringing down deep concepts in a very digestible way. Uh, can't wait to do this again, Chaim. And my friends, have a great day. Keep shining your light. Be the light that you want to see in this world. And like I always say, stay positive, be happy. I'm Eric Kay, and have a great day. <laughs>